Before, uh, hopefully you're aware, I was on sabbatical for three months. If I haven't met you, my name's Rob. Um, one of the things that we were asked or people would mention to me before we left for sabbatical is they would always say, I can't wait to hear what God tells you about the future of Hope Church. And I would say, that's a lot of pressure. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it was almost viewed as like Moses going up on the mount to hear from God to come back and reveal some incredible insight when in reality, we were just tired. We were worn out. Uh, we absolutely uh, loved our time. But yes, in the process uh, of, of being away, of having time away, of having time just to study God's word uh, without having to preach that weekend, uh, just to be able to just immerse ourselves. And uh, Tom and I were able to read so many books that we've been wanting to read, but this thing called life keeps getting in the way. And we also have people, when we got back, they'd always say, do you feel fully rested? And I would say, oh no, we brought our kids with us. Like they were, they were there the whole time. In fact, we spent more time with them than ever before. Uh, so, no, we, but in the process of just spending time alone with God, uh, in the process of just reading through the Bible, not because I had to prepare something to speak, but just because I love studying the Word of God, in the process of just praying, uh, and as well as so many of you who faithfully prayed for us while we were away, and just the encouraging conversations that we were able to have with so many other people in, in ministry and other pastors, and just, um, just kind of being able to take a step back and see the bigger picture. Uh, when Tab and I, before we even drove out of Somerville, I said, hey, let's only talk about the great things we've seen over the last eight years. Let's just talk about the unbelievable stories that we've been able to see God do in people's lives, including our own, over the course of moving here now over eight years ago, uh, which makes me a local, by the way. If you've lived here longer than like four months, you're a local. Um, no, but let's just focus on the good things, the incredible things that we've seen, uh, how God has worked in people's lives, uh, the people who are far from God but now following God closely, uh, just these amazing things that we've been able to see because there are a lot of them. And so often we can get so caught up on, on the negative things that we forget to just stop and praise God for the incredible things that he does that only he can take credit for. Uh, only he should be the one that we're pointing people and say, all glory is due him. But again, in the process, we were able to have a lot of conversations going, so what do we do when we get back? Uh, what is the direction that Hope Church has come these eight years and what needs to happen moving forward? And everybody right now is really scared. I promise it's nothing big. It's, not, it's nothing crazy. Like meeting on Sunday morning. <laughs> I love preaching at other churches. A lot of the guys that came and filled in for me, I will sometimes fill in for them on Sunday mornings. I'm always like, wow, church on a Sunday morning. This is crazy. So you don't like sleep in? Like... You haven't already like gone to soccer games and done your grocery shopping, and, and you're not going to the beach tomorrow, I assume. It's Monday. Anyways, I digress. Uh, the sabbatical has really taken time to allow us to say, okay, what do we need? And really, it's just how do we get back to the basics? Um, I, correct me if I'm wrong. The people who are still here who are on our original core team, the people that sat in core team meetings for... Uh, Cam and Sarah were there for one week before we launched. They are technically part of our core team. 
They started coming before we were a church, by one week. Um, Sarah Lerner, the Rays, the Bryants, the Allens. Um, the Allens were the first ones that uh, came to our church before there was a church. They happened to move here from California and talked to Allie Bell at the time working at an eye doctor, and they're like, what's a church? And they're like, follow me. And they came to community group first, and they've never left, and it's been wonderful. Um, but most of you, raise your hands if you've only been coming to Hope Church for like two years, if you would. I just Time for a little survey. Okay, three years. How many people have come for three years now? Like if you came when we were meeting outside. Okay, so a lot of people, and we realize that that has been these vision <laughs> meetings of, hey, I think this is what God is leading us to do. They're seven years old, and the majority of you have not been here for seven years. Uh, the things that we originally wanted to set out to do um, and, and accomplish again, this crazy thing called life started happening. And some of the stuff that maybe we even did well before, uh, before this pandemic, that now we just haven't been able to get back kind of on the track of, those are the things that we want to focus on. So going back to what we talked about, oh, real quick, the next four weeks, please, please, please take notes. Okay? You got to pass this week. I mean, you can still take notes. Please take notes this week if you have the ability. I would appreciate it. Um, but in, starting this week, what I would like you to do, and again, I know this week's going to be tough, but we're going to have different uh, graphics and like symbols that it will, should just like, nothing big, it's nothing crazy, uh, like an arrow or just different things that help explain, a, a picture that will help explain what we're trying to do. Don't take a picture of it. And if you see something like a quote on the screen, don't take a picture of it. I learned this as well. If you take a picture of something, your brain immediately forgets it. Uh, when you take a picture of something, you don't feel like you have to keep it deep. So if there is a graphic, is there any way you can just throw up one of the graphics from tonight really quick uh, that we're going to be using? So it's, for instance, this. Um, don't take a picture of it. You have to draw it. If you take the time to draw it, you will remember it, and it will mean more to you. This is a teaser, because we're going to get into it in a minute. So uh, when you're taking notes, please, I want you to draw the pictures. And then in five weeks, we'll have a picture drawing contest. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but then this will actually help you remember and be able to then tell somebody else about it. So that's all for free. So how do we get back to the basics? Number one, we have to go back to what are, and this is where we started talking about last week, what are the priorities in God's eyes? Uh, how does God prioritize things, and then how do we uh, be able to then line up the things that take priority in our life according to what God wants in his word? I'm so glad you asked. In fact, there's a verse where the Pharisees came up to Jesus, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? Now, that's not just the Ten Commandments. They're talking about all the other commandments they've written. And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. The first and greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, everything that's been written rely on those two commandments. I love that they asked for one and he gave them two. So that's where this graphic comes into play. Last week I gave you numbers and I said, okay, number one, this is most important, but either way the numbers don't matter, which is very confusing. And so Ryan Britt's like, hey, I saw a great graph. And I said, great, can you make one in like 15 minutes? He had it back to me. So here's how we're going to go through this from now on. So if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind, how does that play out 
Boom. Just like we rehearsed. That means God is at the center. And this is going to sound weird, but hear me out. Loving God is easy until we add all the things that that means. Loving God is easy because he's this huge entity out there, but what does it mean to really love him? I hear all the time, well, I love God. I believe in God. Oh, where do you go to church? Ooh, (laughs) I do not go to church. Those people are hypocrites. I was like, yes, I am a hypocrite. Thank you. I am a hypocrite. It's actually a gathering of hypocrites who hopefully understand and admit to being hypocrites and realize we need help because that's how I am. So what ends up happening is the way that we love God, according to the entire book of 1 John and many more, is how we love other people in the local church. And I'm going to start with the local church for a very important reason. Most of the time you love your spouse and children, right? I I shouldn't have to go into great detail about that, but I will in a minute. But I want to start with the local church. Why? Because my wife in, in this country, we had options, both of us, right? Like, it wasn't prearranged by our parents that we would get married. So she still had the option up until our wedding to opt out, as did I. And we chose, after getting to know each other, to get married and spend the rest of our lives together. When you walk in those church doors, there is nobody in here that you had a long dating relationship with and now you are committing yourselves to each other for the rest of your life. You're walking into these doors, I don't know if, is crapshoot a bad word? That's just about shooting dice, right? Okay. It's a crapshoot when you walk through the doors of a church. You don't know what you're going to get. And in some ways, you're now committing yourself to this church if you continue to come. I know a lot of you very, very, very well. You all together might not know each other that well. Some of you didn't even know that Derek had like 19 inches of hair cut off this last week. (laughs) So, (laughs) I know that some of you are hard to love. And I also know through emails and texts and different things, I'm hard to love sometimes. Thank you for being honest with me. So it's difficult to walk into a a local church setting like this and then have God say, by the way, the way that you demonstrate that you love me is how you love other people in your local gathering of church, which is what that specifically means. It's easy to love the church if we're talking about the universal, worldwide church. Why? We don't know many of them. So I say at the grocery giveaway, it's easy to love them. Why? Because I know them long enough to put groceries in their car. So I love them. But people that I have to spend time with And people who are just annoying, none of you, I'm talking about other churches I've been to in the past, that can be tough. So how do we demonstrate that we love God? By loving each other. As I mentioned last week, there's 62 or 63 one another's in the Bible that we have to practice with each other. In fact, let's read some of them. Hebrews chapter 10. You know this is a favorite passage of pastors, as when I turned there, my binder is literally broken on it, and it's all highlighted, like, repeatedly in different colors. Here's why. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when the Bible uses brothers and sisters, he's talking about people who know 
the Lord, by the way. I want to make that clear. But, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Stop there. There's a lot of symbolism in here. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. In other words, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were still following a lot of their customs and a lot of their laws and a lot of their regulations. And so the author of Hebrews, who we actually don't know who it was, wrote a letter specifically to the Hebrews to tell the Hebrews to stop being Hebrews. That's how you can now remember that. And in this book, he's explaining this is why this was all set up in the Old Testament. Everything points to Jesus. Another quick summary of Hebrews, Jesus is better. That's the whole point of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better. Uh, you had priests, Jesus is better. Jesus is the holy priest. You had sacrifices, Jesus' holy blood is better. It's the only sacrifice we really needed to be able to have a relationship with God. Everything in the book of Hebrews is pointing to Jesus is better. And this is a reminder, and a reminder that I think we need just like singing songs about what the, what the eternity looks like for those that know Jesus, that we have to sing those and remember those. Why? Because during the week, we tend to forget the main point and the main drive of what we're going after. And so here, the author is pointing, saying, just remember, because of all that Jesus accomplished, you are now have brought, been brought from death to life. If you put your faith in Christ, that he died and rose again, defeating sin and death, taking your sins to the grave and rising again, defeating death, so now our hope can be in him, this is what that means. And this is all symbolism of what would happen in the old temples of sprinkling and the cleansing rituals and all the stuff that the Hebrew people would have to do when they would go to talk to God, and he's saying, now because of Jesus, you have direct access. You no longer have to access God through a priest, through a sacrifice, through these different cleansings. Jesus has cleansed you now that you're in a relationship with him. So it is this great reminder to us that we have access to a holy, righteous God because of what Jesus did for us. Remember, the only thing, <clears throat> the only thing that we brought to our salvation was our sin. Jesus did everything else. And now we have access to this God. So that's what the writer is trying to communicate. And then he goes on, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. All of these things now, we have a connection with God. God is faithful. We are unfaithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is something uh, that I've used in the past. Growing up, I loved horses. I loved the Wild West. I wanted to be a cowboy started riding horses at a very young age, don't ride as many anymore. And when we first started going to like rodeos as a kid, because you know, way upstate New York in the mountains is known for the rodeos, when we would go up there and you'd see the cowboys and they'd have their spurs on and I would ask my mom, what is that? And she said, those are spurs and they use them to tickle the side of the horse to get them to move. As I got older, I realized there's no tickling involved. <laughs> that was something maybe my mom just didn't know. She knows a lot of other stuff. There's nothing bad about my mom. She listens to the podcast. <laughs> she, 
And especially in Roman times, the spurs were actually just like a sharp piece of metal coming out. And what a spur does is it gets the horse to do what it doesn't want to do. And in the process, there is trust built between the rider and the horse. So for instance, if I was riding a horse and you'd come up to a puddle, a horse can't tell how deep the puddle is. The other thing a horse doesn't want to do is break its leg. So it would come up to a puddle, it doesn't know how deep the water is, and so it didn't want to step in the puddle. In my case, sometimes we'd take them into the lake to see how far we could get them to walk into the lake to build trust between the rider and the horse. It didn't want to go in, and so you'd give it a little tickle, and it still wouldn't go in. And sometimes you had to really tickle that horse and guide it into the water, and then it would step, and then the, as this would happen over time, the horse would begin to trust the rider. It could be very painful for the horse, but the rider is also trusting the horse to get it to where it needs to go, especially in battle. So it's a beautiful picture because sometimes as a pastor, you have people that you want to trust you, hear the word of God, and move forward, and they're scared, and they don't want to. But don't worry, I'm not going to like run up and jam a spur into your side or something to get you to go do it. But sometimes we have to spur one another. It's not just about a pastor. It's about everyone seeing somebody, not trusting God, and helping them continue to grow in their faith and spur each other on. Isn't that an interesting history lesson? But the thing that we're to spur each other on is towards love and good deeds, towards loving each other. Sometimes we don't want to love each other and sometimes somebody comes to us and says unloving things about somebody else, one of the other one another's, and now it is our duty to spur them on, to remind them to love each other. That's how we love God, but also towards good deeds, towards doing the things that God in Ephesians 2 has, has before you were thought of, designed for you to accomplish for His glory. Not giving up meeting together, as the, some are in the habit of doing. That's what makes this the pastor's favorite verse. Hey, the Bible says not to give up the habit of meeting together. Some of people have this habit. Why? We're to love each other. When you love something, you want to be there. You want to serve one another. You want to be there for one another. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So spur one another on and encourage one another. That's two of 63 times that one another is used. All the more as you see the day approaching. What are some of the other ones? Galatians 6.1. Carry one another's burdens. Someone's going through a tough time, be there for them. Don't run away. Uh, I always say we are called to be firefighters in the faith. In other words, when there's a fire, the first firefighter that just runs away because he's scared of fire won't have a job. Uh, I heard a true story of a police officer uh, in the area who his first day got called into a very hot situation and just left. They said, what are you doing? We needed your help. He goes, I'm, I'm scared of getting hurt. He stopped being a police officer that day, not by his choice. So as believers, when we see a problem, we are to run towards it, bear one another. We are to be long-suffering with one another. We are to bear one another, endure one another. All of these one another's are how we continue to demonstrate that we love each other. Back to the graphic. That was just part one. The other ones will be quick, I promise, because they're easy. Spouse and children. How are you loving your spouse and children? Not loving in the way that uh, we think of, 
But how do we love our spouse and children in the way that God has called us to? What has God called us to? He has called us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He has called us to love the church, meaning that it is now your responsibility to God to raise your children to do the same. As I said last week, if you, if you happily skip church and begrudgingly go to church, your children notice. Uh, if you um, come to church, but then all week long, all you do is bash everybody that you work with, all you do is talk bad about the other people at church, your children notice. And if you are to teach your children how to love God by loving the church, you are not loving God by how you are loving your spouse and children. Again, last week, if you are single, it's the local church. That's the most important thing. First Corinthians 7, serve at the local church. Paul's like, isn't that exciting? You guys can just serve at the local church more. Married people have other responsibilities. You don't. Serve at the church more. True story. Uh, when you are loving everyone else, that's the part about the neighbors. Uh, who is your neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor is everyone. Everyone in the world is your neighbor. So how do you love God? By loving everyone else the way you love yourself. By loving everyone else the way that God has called you to. What has God called us to do? Point other people to him. But in the process, that's why all these are intermixed, is in the process of loving everyone else, you are teaching your spouse and children what's most important to you. That you are willing to take that step of faith to go and talk to the people that you work with, to love the people that are hard to love, that you work with, play with, learn with, whatever, that you are now guiding your children to, we love people no matter what. And the most important thing for this person is to know Jesus. So that if you're like me, and every morning, very early, I take my little missionary, who I don't even know if he knows God yet, and I drive him to his mission field and I send him out. And I now, the last two weeks, have been thinking, how am I training my little missionary by what I do? Because he is watching a lot more about what I do than he is about what I say. And if I truly am loving the world around me, it will be easy for him to go and do the exact same thing because he's seen his mom and dad do it. So if you have children in school, just know they are your responsibility. They are God's, but he has called you to be a steward to teach them how to love him more. And what you do is so important. I cannot emphasize that enough. One of the conversations Tab and I had was, do our children see us reading the Bible enough? Do they see us reading the Bible number one? Um, because I go to my office where I study or I read, the children are at school. How do we make more of a point so that they know? Uh, growing up in my teenage years, I wasn't living my best life. And my father was a pastor, and he did most of his reading in the office. He, did, he would read at home. My dad was, he reads books unbelievably fast. Uh, so my dad was always a reader, so I had that. But I knew I had to be home by 4 a.m. every morning. Don't ask what I was doing up until then. Why? My mom was at the kitchen table reading her Bible and praying. My mom wore through Bibles. My mom would read and read and study and highlight, and her Bible would fall apart, and she'd have to get another one. My mom would pray. My mom is an unbelievable prayer warrior. So even though I was not living in the way that my parents were modeling, it has stood out to me to this day. I knew my mom would be at the table at 4 a.m. My mom had seven kids, and all of us knew my mom read the Bible every day. So how am I passing that on to my children? 
If I tell them, hey, the Bible's important, but all they ever see me doing is watching sports, they're going to know what's actually important to me. So how do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? It's by how we love all these other areas, the priority that those take in our life, and it's all intermingled with each other. So when I say we're going back to the basics, that's what I mean. Back to the very basic of how do we love God? What are the priorities? Number two, the thing that I even told some of you before we left, um, was we have to put a much bigger emphasis and a better plan in place for discipleship. Uh, Discipleship is um, really the thing that changed the course of my life. A youth pastor I had who sat me down was unbelievably bluntly honest with me and used words I cannot repeat telling me what kind of a person I was. And I left. I never went back to that church for six months. And then I realized he's right. And I went back and he loved me enough to tell me the truth. And from that point, there has always been somebody in my life who helps guide, call me out, and disciple me. I can't emphasize enough. In fact, that's what God calls us to do. Go and make disciples. Again, you're saying, that's not my calling. If you have children, that's your calling and that's your responsibility to God to be discipling your children in that way. All of us are called to make disciples. So we're going to take some time and we are going to talk about discipleship. Turn with me, if you would, to Second uh, Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2. Um, we have a way of discipleship. Before we put the graph up, before we put the thing up, who here, this is a test, in front of everybody, so it's easy. What does Hope Church believe about discipleship? What is discipleship at Hope Church? Any takers? Jose. Very good. Put it on the board. Discipleship. Helping someone grow one step closer in the relationship with God. That's fine, Jose. You did great. Round of applause for Jose. That's, that's, that's got to be hard, too, because it's like you're on the spot in front of everybody. Helping someone grow one step closer in relationship with God. That is the purpose of discipleship. There's two parts of it. On the left side is the people that do not know Christ yet. They have not turned their lives over, making Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. Those people we are still discipling. The people that you go to soccer games, hockey games, football games, swimming, whatever it is that don't know Christ, you are responsible to God for how you are at least in some way demonstrating Christ in your life to them. And that's called evangelism. That's pointing people to God even though they don't know Him. People that do, when we use that cross as the point of people now coming to know Christ, now it's about pursuing holiness. How do we continue to pour into people's lives, helping them grow and continually in the relationship with God? So that's how we summarize discipleship. But I want to go a little bit further than that uh, because I, I want to say, what does it take for discipleship to be successful? And that's a very difficult question when you're talking about success because everybody has a different idea what success is. And when you're talking about spiritual success, it's not the same as what we would consider successful in the world's eyes. God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It means we have a different view on things than people in the world do. So join with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Uh, Paul, who discipled Timothy, met him when he was a young man and discipled him in the faith, and now Timothy is pastoring in different churches. So uh, Paul writes, You then, my son, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Stop there. When you see somebody that works in Hope Kids, say thank you. You see somebody working in Hope Kids, this is what they're doing. We have entrusted them with these precious lives, and right now they are teaching children about God in memorable ways through songs, activities. Everything is pointing back to the Word of God. It is unbelievable. To me, that is the most important way to serve at Hope Church. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but my children are back there, and I'm so thankful for the people who have felt called by God to be back there serving these young, precious lives, doing exactly this, this, this discipleship. Verse 3, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Asterisk. Houston Astros, Boston Red Sox, New England Patriots. Verse 6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So what does it take for discipleship to be successful? This is the direction that Hope Church is going in, and that we want to put a strong emphasis on discipleship relationships with a purpose. There's a couple things that happen in every relationship, and those are expectations. And a lot of the expectations that we have in relationships, we, they're just kind of unwritten. They're unwritten rules. Uh, we just kind of assume that they're there without talking to them. So Cam and Sarah invite me over to their house. Never in the times that I've been at their house, which is kind of funny because I've been there a lot when you're not there. Long story. <laughs> um, I've never gone in and Cam said, hey, before you come in, I just want to make something very, very clear, Rob with you. I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, please don't take an axe and chop up all our furniture. Okay. So I slowly turn around and bring my axe back to the car and put it in there. Why? Well, there's kind of an unwritten rule. When someone invites you to their house, don't chop up their furniture with an axe. Ben. That's an unwritten expectation. And we have these no matter what we do. No matter what we do, there are these unwritten expectations. I've never gone into the grocery store and been met by somebody who goes, Sir, please don't try to take all the lobsters out, take the rubber bands off, and wrestle them. Why? Well, there's just an expectation there that that's not the thing I'm going to try to do. And they trust me in that. I want to see it happen to somebody else, but it's not what I'm going to do. So our entire life is filled with these expectations. Now, most of the time when Tab and I uh, are involved in helping somebody work through some marriage or relationship difficulties, most of it can be traced back to unmet expectations the other person didn't know. Uh, even in interpersonal relationships, I, I call it, we're playing a board game, but you're hiding the rules from me. 
So you're expecting me to play along, but you haven't told me the rules. And a lot of times in life, our relationships get messy because of that exact thing. And sometimes we're holding people accountable to a rule sheet, but we're kind of making it up as we go along. And so here, Paul to Timothy is really lining up. These are the expectations of a discipleship relationship. And so I just want to walk through these over the next two or three hours. So what does it take for discipleship to be successful? How do we actually operate in a, in a proper discipleship relationship? The first one is for the disciple By the way, this isn't a word. Disciple is not a word. I asked somebody after the priest, I was like, shouldn't that just be the disciple? I was like, I don't know. It'll make it memorable. From the disciple this is the expectation that Paul is explaining. Number one, a soldier. A soldier. Obedience without distraction. Paul's writing this at the time of the Romans. The Romans were the most highly uh, disciplined, trained. Uh, I was going to go into a lot of detail about it because it's just fascinating. The Romans, even though they could be outnumbered, they were probably going to win. It's how they dominated everywhere they went for so long a period of time. Their soldiers were unbelievably trained. There was unbelievable discipline that would happen as well if they got out of line. Unbelievably trained. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy, that the disciple must be able to obey without distraction. They're not going to get caught up in civilian affairs. Uh, the same thing as the police officer. Uh, he was given an order, and he didn't want to do it. That's going to cost you. Uh, but when we approach discipleship in God's eyes, we are given orders and what to do uh, to spend time alone with God, uh, to, to spend time and discipline ourselves so that we can grow in a relationship, but we get caught up in civilian affairs. We get caught up in the, the things that aren't going to last for eternity, and we bank on those as an excuse. So a, a disciple needs to be uh, obedience without distraction to the Word of God. Number two, they're compared to an athlete. An athlete, self-discipline to compete correctly. Self-discipline to compete correctly. One of the things that stood out I was reading through the last couple months is it's almost in every book that in the New Testament, especially ones that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, there is a way of communicating that you have to have self-control. There is a way of communicating that there needs to be self-discipline involved in a believer's life. And we usually put that back to two things. Don't have sex till you're married and also don't lose your temper. And that's self-control. We did it if we do those two things. But a big aspect of self-control is being able to discipline yourselves to do the things that you've been called to do by God. In other words, what does your calendar look like? If we say that spending time in prayer is important, is it on your calendar? Is it on your schedule, blocked out, not able to interrupt that? If we say that studying God's Word is important, have we disciplined our calendar, have we disciplined our lives that we're going to spend this amount of time studying God's Word? It's blocked out. You can't interrupt that. If we go through the list of things that God has called us to do, can we discipline ourselves? Can we have the self-control to hold to in our daily lives being able to do the exact thing that God's called us to do? Self-control as an athlete. Training for the event. And number three, he uses farmer. Hard work. Here's the thing about farmers that don't work hard. They're not farmers for very long. Farmers, so I grew up 
Uh, I say I grew up in, I moved 58 times in my life. So when I say I grew up here, like I did for a couple years, in a dairy farm area in southwestern New York. And there were people that I could tell you now who were not hard workers, and they lost their farm pretty quickly. The one man that I worked for, his name was Harold Snyder, still an absolute hero to me. One of the hardest working men, if not the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. I believe he's 89 years old, and he still has cattle or steer. Uh, he no longer has a dairy farm. And I believe he's still extremely hard to beat in ping pong, from what my brothers told me. Um, just the most rugged, strong, hardworking man I've ever met in my life. And as it is with a lot of professions, especially in an area, everybody has like things they think about that guy. Well, that guy would just do this. Like we are very good at figuring out what other people are doing wrong, but we got everything on lockdown in our own lives. All the farmers never had anything bad to say about Harold because of his example in the community. Uh, he went to our church, he hired me when I was 12, um, and I worked for him most of my teen years. It was the one real regular steady job that I had. Guys loved working for him, people wanted to work for him um, because of how well he took care of his employees, how well he ran his business. Just a very smart, uh, he was the fourth generation to own that farm. Um, so when I think of a farmer, I have it very clearly, it's Harold Snyder a man that will never get any recognition out of the town that he's lived his entire life, so I'm trying to make him popular. Harold Snyder, Harold Snyder. It takes hard work, and we're not willing to do that most of the time. Let's be honest, we give up way too easy on stuff. And especially if it has something to do with church, if it has something to do with how we go about wanting to grow in our walk with the Lord, we are quick to give up. So, the person that is being discipled, this is what you are called to, this is the expectation that you're a soldier, obedience without distraction, athlete, self-discipline to compete correctly, and a farmer. You are willing to work hard. In fact, 2 Timothy 2.15, as he continues to go on, says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Would you say that you are doing your, don't answer, would you say that you are doing your best to grow in spiritual ways, or are there other things that eat up most of your day, most of your week, most of your time that you are trying to do your best in that will not last for eternity? I'm not saying you can't do both. You should represent Christ where you live, learn, work, and play. Don't be the lazy guy at work saying, I'm just trying to read my Bible. That's what God's called me to do. You deserve to get fired. You represent God wherever you go. Flip the table. Now from the discipler, this is, if you have children, this is you, how you're going to disciple your children. Uh, this is for how we want our community group leaders to lead their community groups. This is a, a continual passing down of how we disciple. So this is the person that is doing the teaching. Number one, they need to know the mission. They are the commanding officer to that soldier. And if you're a commanding officer and you don't know the mission, you don't know the objective, and you don't know what you're trying to do, you're going to have some very confused soldiers who will not follow you for very long. So from the discipler, you need to put an emphasis on knowing the mission. Great news, next week we're preaching on the mission of God. You can come and we will tell you what this mission is and how it plays out in your life. So, number one, Know the mission. You are the commanding officer, and you are discipling somebody. Everyone should have someone they are discipling. So you have to know the mission and point them in the right direction. 
Uh, I love the saying, we mentioned it last week, the church doesn't have a mission, God's mission has a church. When we align ourselves with what God has already called us to do, it is very easy and it is very clear. So how do we line up what we do as the church to what God is calling us to do? Number two, it takes good game planning. You're a coach. A coach has to understand what the enemy is trying to do. The coach has to be able to strategize with what he's been given as a team. He has to come up with a good game plan to go forward and to win. Winning in God's eyes. If you've ever seen a team that the, from the top down just isn't good, the person that owns it isn't good, uh, he ends up hiring coach after coach who doesn't have a good game plan. And then you end up, you could have the best players that you could possibly get to play on your team. And you're not going to win the big one. And you get labeled the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Coaching is so important. You have all been called to be coaches. So as a commanding officer, you need to know the mission. As a coach, you have to have a good game plan, and it takes work, especially with your children. I'm sorry to be harping on this. It's what's actually been on my heart a lot. With my child, I have to have a good game plan of how I'm teaching them to love the church, how I'm teaching them to love other people, and how I'm teaching them to love their wife or whatever it is, husband, their spouse, or to be able to love being single if that's what God's called them to to teach them to love God above everything else with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their mind. And number three, an agriculturalist. And that's spelled correctly. Thank you, Ben. When a farmer is having trouble, he has to call somebody if he can't get his crops to grow. He needs to know what is wrong. Uh, Luke chapter 13, it's specifically written, uh, Jesus is giving a parable talking about the nation of Israel, and he gives a short parable, and he says, um, I've tended this fig tree, talking about Israel, for three years, and it's produced no fruit, so cut it down. And the farmer says, give me one more year, and I will tend to the soil, and I will fertilize it, and I will do whatever I can in my means to get this fig tree to produce fruit, but then if it doesn't, then I will cut it down. And I took that thinking, okay, very honest moment. I personally, who am responsible to God for this local body of believers, have not been doing a good job of implementing discipleship, implementing the things that I've been called to implement. And so although this is talking about the nation of Israel, I feel like it's me going, okay, God, coming back from sabbatical, I'm going to tend the soil. I'm going to fertilize. I'm going to do whatever I can in my means to help these trees produce fruit. But you've called me to implement this and implement ways of doing it. I'm going to need your guidance as the great agriculturalist to help me be able to do this. And so that's my commitment to you. That's what our staff is really focusing on moving forward is how do we uh, create very tangible, easy ways that can go along with people's schedules to help people grow in the Lord so that they are bearing fruit in what God has called them 
to do? How are we helping people understand their gift sets, understand their calling, understand areas that they can serve, understand how they can reach their community? But more than that, how do we come alongside of you and help you? So I came up with two things. The future of Hope Church. Number one, we are moving. Uh, it's just the thing we do. Um, no, we, uh, going back before sabbatical, Derek and I have been meeting uh, with other churches. Then while I was gone, Derek and Jose have been having meetings with other churches. Um, we, there's many reasons why we first started having those meetings. We're just kind of growing out of this space. Uh, the rule of thumb is if you're at 80% capacity, people are going to walk in the door and not bother coming back. It's too full. Uh, not just that, but our uh, children, especially our preschool room, is packed. And if you look around, you realize there's more kids coming, and they're already here. Uh, and so we knew going back uh, that that was going to be a thing. We are so thankful for North Trident and what they've meant. We're not moving next week. Uh, we actually have a great backup plan. But what we need you to do is we need you to pray. Uh, we need you to pray, pray, and pray. Uh, we really believe that God is in control, and no human is going to get in the way of what God wants to do. Uh, and some of that is, again, on me. Two weeks ago when Darren Gabriel was preaching, and he was talking about Jesus telling the disciples, by the way, when we go into Jerusalem, the leaders are going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to kill me, but I'll raise again. And Peter says, no, not you, Jesus. And he goes, get behind me, Satan. And then he says, for you, basically, this is Rob's interpretation, you think like a human, you don't understand the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. And it hit me like a ton of bricks sitting up here when Darren was preaching because I realized there's things about Hope Church that I've held on to and been unwilling to give up about how we can partner with other churches and it's time that I just say, God, if you want us to reach this community, it's all on the table. Whatever you're calling us to do as a community of believers to better reach this community, whatever you want. And I'm hoping that's your attitude as well that there's just going to be things in, in, that come along with moving that we can say, oh, I like that other place better. We have multiple places we can say that about now. But I'm excited. I'm very thankful for Justin and Kim. Justin's the pastor here. Very, very thankful for them. I've had a lot of clear communication with them. Um, but we don't know. That's the, that's the real answer. We don't know where we're moving yet. We know where we'd like to move, but it's not anywhere set in stone. So pray. Pray that God just continues to open up the pathway there. I thought I would throw everybody off if I just threw that in the middle of a message, by the way. I hope that, that it worked. All right, back to number two, which is really number one because that was just fun for me. Uh, number two, what we have to do is we must build a strong foundation as a church. We have to be built on the things that we need to be built on. Uh, we are putting our focus as a leadership team, and please understand, uh, just coming back from sabbatical, basically having a dump truck back up and dump everything that happened for the last three months on me. We were trying to swim through it. Uh, but what we really want to do, uh, and I don't have a timeline set yet, but we want to focus on discipleship and leadership training. And I also want to call out Jose Ray. Jose had the guts to come up to me last February. And we had just, believe it or not, finished moving a bunch of stuff into another church. And Jose said, Rob, and Jose and I went to the same church in Virginia before we moved down here. 
Uh, and at that church, I was in charge of leading all the community groups at that church. And Jose said, Rob, you have to take back over community groups. They have to go in the right direction. And you've had other people try to fill in and lead. It's very servant-hearted people. But you're the only one that has that vision and mission for what community groups should look like. And it's got to be you. And number two, these are Jose's words, not mine. He said, you made me fall in love with leadership development by how you ran the core team meetings back in the day. And you say you love developing leaders, but I haven't seen you do it in at least five years. And Jose was dead on. It took a lot of guts for Jose to say that uh, to me. Because, well, one, I'm very sweet, and I'm very kind, <laughs> and I would never have a sharp-tongued answer back, so it shouldn't have been that hard. Uh, but those words really meant a lot to me. One, it demonstrated that Jose loves me and trusts me, that he can have that communication with me. But also, he's dead on. He was dead on true. Those are the things that I really love, discipleship and leadership development, more than anything else. And I haven't really been doing them. And so I feel I have to apologize to you as a pastor, saying that I let those things get in the wash and I haven't been carrying them out. But my commitment is now that's where my focus is going to be. That's where our focus as a leadership team is going to be, that we want to build out better processes, making it easier and more tangible for people to be a part of our church family, but also to be growing in their personal lives with the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, we go back to the basics. Who's got a Hope Church t-shirt on? Any takers? All right, Shannon, you stand up really quick. Sorry. Right on the front of our t-shirt, it says, love, equip, send. You've probably seen it, but we've never taken time in the last couple of years to explain what that exactly means. So here's how we get back to the basics. This is what we originally wanted to do as a church. And I'm very, very excited to say this is what we are moving towards. We're not there yet, but we hope you join us on the journey. Number one, the next four weeks uh, here at church, we're going to be walking through what this exactly means, getting back to the basics of what is a church, not just Hope Church, but what does a church mean? How do we live out these missions of God? How do we have a kingdom mindset? How do we reach the harvest? And how do we disciple? That's the next four weeks. But for Hope Church, this is what we are, love, equip, send. Love is love God and love others. Very simple, going back to that first and greatest commandment and the second like unto it. Uh, we have to love the people in here. We love our families. We love our community. We love everybody that God calls our neighbor. And we love them by pointing them to Christ. The next part is something that we've always wanted to do since before we moved down here. And that was be able to have equipped classes. And we've tried it a couple times. Uh, and we felt like we, every time we would get the ball rolling, uh, a pandemic would happen. And so... Uh, it's just kind of gotten almost forgotten about, something that we keep talking about wanting to do. Uh, we've wanted to partner with other churches in doing this, and we just really feel like, no, we just have to move forward on this. Equip classes will be um, set up f to help you grow in individual ways. Uh, again, these aren't set in stone. This is just an idea right now. We're having meetings over the next couple of weeks to try to figure those out. But we've changed, moved our staff that we already had around with certain people that this is just their priority. This is their job is to set up equipped classes and offer them at different times uh, so that it can work with different people's schedules. And, and so we're going to need feedback from you because we want to know what we need to do to help this become very tangible and very easy for people to do. And it won't be a lot. Um, so like one of the ideas is just we'll have three different books. We'll meet once a month for three months and over a specific topic, and we'll get together once a month, and we'll just walk through what are we learning together and how do we learn together. Boom, that's an equip class. Again, don't write that down. We don't know for sure yet. 
So we want to offer equip classes in these specific areas. Why? Well, we're very big on sending you out. That's what God has called us to do. Go ye, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. So if you love people, that's great, and we're sending you out to go do that. But unless we're properly equipping you, that's on us. Unless we're coaching, unless we're giving you the mission as a commanding officer, unless we're, we're putting in the hard work ourselves. Uh, for a lot of times I've consulted with other churches. It's very easy to consult with other churches before you've ever pastored, by the way. It's like telling everybody else how to raise their kids and you've never had any. Um, but most of the time with churches, you don't have to ever look beyond the leadership team of a church to know what the problem is. Because whatever the problem of a church is can usually be found in the leadership team, almost down to an exact percentage of people. Uh, so if your entire leadership team of your church uh, is involved in gossip and badmouthing people, chances are your entire church gossips and badmouths people, uh, and so on and so forth. If none of your leadership team is discipling people, the chances of anybody being discipled in your church, not great. So how do we, as a leadership team, and it starts with us, how do we uh, start to implement these discipleship things into our lives, um, but then how do we have equip classes to teach people how to do it with the lives of, in their marriages, with their children, in their singleness, uh, in their prayer lives, in their how do they study the Bible, how do we teach the Bible best? So these are all ideas that we are putting together, and in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to have some surveys for you to fill out so that we know what is best to help you. And I am not promising a timeline on that. <laughs> Just know it is top priority and we want it to happen as soon as possible. So in a couple moments, Derek is going to come up and he's going to announce, hey, who wants to be involved in a community group? Right now, we are forming some community groups that we want to start meeting right away. When Derek says that, it's not just like an announcement that you breeze over. We specifically want to hear from you. Text me. Call me. I'll go out and watch you drink coffee, and you can tell me what you're looking for in a community group. In the process, we are also setting up community groups that we hope to launch in the next two or three weeks uh, that we will be inviting you to come and take pardon. But again, this is the relationship. These are the expectations that you talk to us and let us know what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you want to see have happen. I don't know if that was my ending. So draw this graphic. That's your homework. No, we want you, we want to be able to do the best job that we can to help love, equip, and send. We're asking you and again, this is me being very honest with you, saying I am committing to living out how God has wanted us to live. I'm very sorry that it seems like we've been off the rails or, or wandering in the wilderness or whatever you want to say. it. That's on me. But please be praying for us as a leadership team. Uh, please be praying for us as a church that in all of these things that we would seek out God's wisdom. I am so excited to move forward with you. I love you guys so much. The hardest part about sabbatical was being away from you. And by week two, Tab and I were sitting in the front row of a church going, we really miss our church. We were so happy to be back. I was so excited. Tab was supposed to be in here tonight, um, but she wasn't working in Hope Kids. And so what Bodhi does is he schedules a low-grade fever. And so my poor wife, I was going to introduce her because a lot of you have never actually met her. Um, but please pray for us as a leadership team. Pray for each other as a church. I am so excited for what God is calling us to do together moving forward. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to serve you. Lord, I thank you so much 
that you have a plan, that you have a mission. I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit who, who lives in us to draw us to you, to point us to you. Lord, I pray that you would give us the Uh, through the power of the Spirit to discipline our lives so that we can better glorify you in what we say, what we think, what we study, what we spend our time doing. Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion to know you more. Lord, I pray that you would give us a passion to see our community come to know you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.